As some of the references will give away, this conversation was recorded in the run-up to Christmas 2015. There we go. Shit a duck. Right, you can put shit a duck in there if you like. (laughs) You can leave that in. There's a sort of magic to life performance, which is, it's the spontaneity of it. It's the being in the moment. It's so different. When you draw something and then you kind of show it to somebody, you don't really get the sort of like, impact you you know you can tell if they like it or they don't like it but you don't have that sort of same impact of the entire audience laughing mm-hmm. and going we approve of you yeah i have certain phrases i like which is shut up shit a duck pig tits just general piss you that's good hello i'm dave i'm the guy that's putting all this stuff together i need to get better please make me better I want to get better, better, better acquainted with you. Today we're getting better acquainted with Izzy. Hello, welcome to the chaos that is my kitchen. Yeah, I mean, yeah, thank you for for having me over to your house. You say thank you for having me over. It's sort of like thank you for having me over as in not chucking me out because you forgot that (laughs) I was coming, Izzy. You're still sat in your dressing gown and pyjamas at what? 20 past midday so well I mean I'm normally sat in my in my well in my pajamas I don't currently have a dressing gown going oh, on but that's um, very sad but I'm um, but normally I'm in that sort of situation there's a podcaster like which you which you are which we'll get to later uh, most of the time you do spend a lot of time just staring at sound files and uh, wearing your pajamas yes that's been my experience so I, I feel quite welcome and kind of at <laughs> home uh, in in the, in the chaos that I found I've traveled all the way sort of just outside reading so it was good that you we're in like yes. that's 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 the best thing no no I, I'm, I'm always <laughs> I'm usually in and if I'm not in now I'm out for a run or I'm going to the bank so I'm back pretty quick daytimes I tend to spend at home quite a lot mainly because real people I'm friends with have jobs now so there's no point in leaving yeah and yeah and there's no gigs that happen at midday very often sometimes there are but they're usually in the summer Right. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's the thing. I mean, yeah, I'm the same. Like if I'm out, it's in the evening, mostly. The first question that I ask everybody is, how do you know me? I know you, I think mainly, I reckon, probably through Helen Zaltzman. Yeah. I think that's so. And and then you come up, up a lot on Facebook and stuff. And I've listened to not all of your podcasts, but a few of them. So therefore, I know who you are. So I had you on my podcast. Yeah. And I will interview for that. In a set. Yeah, next. Yeah. <laughs> That's next on the agenda of Indeed. the day. Indeed. And yeah, so um, it's just, you know, classic modern friendships. Yeah. It is, you know, Facebook. Yeah, I, I mean, I think the first time I, re- I think I remember meeting you or being aware of you in, in person was Helen Zaltzman arranged like a, a, a meet-up with Roman Mars. Yes. Uh, and it was kind of, it was kind of interesting, like... I wasn't there at the beginning, but clearly there were so many people descended on the Candid Cafe in Angel that they had to be moved out into the like downstairs area outside. And I kind of arrived late, and it was kind of like I was kind of witnessing like Jesus preaching to the to the to the masses, like everybody was sort of like hanging on his every word, and you were sort of there, like not like not. Not not hanging on his every word, but being active and qu- asking questions and not being quite as deferential as everybody else. And I thought, yeah. yes, that's great. So I was impressed by you at that moment. Oh, sure. well, there we go. I also, I think, was very schmoozy and gave everybody a card before running away to a gig. Well, you, do, you are, like, the best at giving out, like, cards at these kind of things. It's because I design them and they're pretty. Right, exactly. So I want to give them to people. Mainly, not because I want them to know who I am, but because, look at the pretty thing yeah. I made. I mean, and, but It feels like a gift then, rather. Other than you know yeah and it is a nice card that's mm. very true and you and you design it but it but also i mean it i mean you, you know you want people to take it because it's pretty but you also want people to take it because you want them to know about your podcast mm. and I, I i i admire that kind of approach i i want to be the, like i have so many cards but i never give them out whereas what i like about you is you put them on the table and sort of like so people can take them or not like i'm i would i haven't got the the confidence to put them on the table even though you know i want to put, have that confidence i think i think I, <laughs> I think you care about too much about what people think if you don't do that sort of stuff right and and you can't control what people think 
No, no, I know. And, yeah. uh, and <laughs> yes, there is a sort of thing of going, if I was going around literally stopping conversations and putting that, them down people's trousers, yeah. I think that would be an obscene thing to do. But leaving cards on a table or just going, hi, I've got to run away, it was lovely meeting you, here's my thing, please find out if you're interested, you know, etc. I don't think that's a great imposition. No, absolutely not. I mean, I, I, I don't think it is either. And I like, I like the fact that you do that because it means, you know, we, you know, I know who you are, I listen to your podcast i really like your podcast as well so that's that's always handy oh happy ego (laughs) but yeah i mean and and so yeah the second question that i ask everybody is what do you do now well right now i sit in my kitchen being interviewed (laughs) in my pajamas that is um i'm a stand-up comedian that is my trade so i do that you know four or five nights a week usually sometimes only three or two, and that's a good week. No, it's not a good week. It's not a good week doing that. I'm lazy. I also do podcasts. So I've got two podcasts. One's called Sunday Supplement, which has run since like 2008. And it's like a weird... That's basically me bullying a man from the West Country for half an hour a week. We review last Sunday's newspapers. Right. So it's an it's a, a completely pointless, futile exercise, which results <laughs> in the word bum faith being said a lot. So... That's what that is. I recommend listening to it if you hate yourself. Um, and I do another podcast called The Zedlist Deadlist, which is about obscure people from history. So I interview comedians, broadcasters, journalists about people from history who don't really come up in the programmes very often on the BBC who are really interesting, you know, or really just disgusting or really boring but have a fascinating quirk to them or just have loads of fun facts around them sort of like other glue to a great story those are the people that we end up talking about and I try and make it sound a bit like I'm a big fan of John Ronson and when he was doing his John Ronson on so that's that's where my influence has come from is that that's where I wanted it to sound but it's kind of developing into its own thing as well which is quite fun so I do that. What else do I do? I do a bit of graphic design because I know a lot of people who need posters and logos and things like that. And so I, it's quite nice because I could call myself a professional graphic designer, but I don't do it for money so much. So I tend to turn down quite big work because I don't need to do it. Right. And then I do the, hey, my mate's got a podcast logo. Can you do it for 40 quid? And I'll be like, yeah, of course I can. And so I'll do a, you know, spend a few hours on something for somebody just for the joy of drawing it and the rest of it so I do that as well and my hobbies are Lego I like Lego I do jiu-jitsu and I have two cats and I live in a house with a poet in Reading that's right that is me that's that's very yeah very comprehensive, very comprehensive and both comprehensive and succinct that's a, a good combination but yeah I mean your 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 podcast Zedlist Deadlist mm-hmm. like I think there's a there's a few things i that make it like work really well from my point of view as a listener or as, as a, an observer like it, it's it's about interesting people it's about like history and stuff like that but you also it's it's also you get a very high caliber of guests like you 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 well, I don't know I've got to have you on it well so. yeah I'm, I'm I, apart from me that's very true I'm uh, I'm I'm but I'm in I'm in very kind of stellar company because you you know one of the things I was really impressed with was that you got like Dan Carlin from from mm. America on who does uh, the hard hardcore history podcast so good. it is really good but that's a case of, it's once again, you've got to chance your arm. So all that happened was I repeatedly tweeted him for about three weeks. Right. And eventually he just said, OK, send me an email here. And I explained what the project was. And he went, yeah, I can spend an hour with you. So that's what happened. Yeah. And it was an awful interview because the entire time I have to cut myself out. Because I'm literally like, I love you. I really love you. You're amazing. So I have to cut all of that and I just have him. Yeah, and, um, but I mean that's fine. But yeah, I mean that, <laughs> that's, that's a perfectly what would do. good technique for getting good good audio yeah. from them. But at the same time, showing how much you appreciate the person you're speaking to, which is you know fair enough. I think. It is, but it's it's kind of stilting the conversation. I know what because you mean. all that happens is you live in your own head, and then the words that come out your tongue turns turns into a shoe, and you can't and doesn't really and and then you can't remember what they just said in order to ask a follow-up question because you're not really in the room. But there's a few that... I've See, I've got a really... I've got a similar interview with Jackie Cation, which I haven't been able to edit into anything that I want to... I'm finding the other story side of it that I can can go with it. Right. But it's... Yeah. I mean, she's, she's an American comedian who does The Dork Forest. Yes. Right? A podcast that, yeah, I, I've enjoyed a lot, although I haven't listened to for ages. But yeah. it's, it's still going. It's, it's pretty good. It is, yeah. Uh, I really like her stand-up as well. She's got an hour... 
which is just lovely because it's she's a sort of very middle-aged kind of dorky American woman that you don't really ever see. Right. And so as a result, her stand-up's really interesting just from the perspective she's doing it at, even though she's covering quite common topics apart from her iguana. But <laughs> apart from that, it, it's all sort of, yeah, it, it's, it's a very... I, I like her a lot. She's really funny. Yeah. It's quite annoying, really. But she is. <laughs> and I, I found her simply because I'm a fan of Maria Bamford. Right. And so... And they've done a lot of work together. They have. Well, you know, she supports her and a yeah. lot on tour and things like that. And they mention each other and there's cross-filtration. Right. So, I mean, it's like, it's like once you start listening to... Certain, like to, Once you start listening to podcasts as well, you find out about mm-hmm. other podcasts and other comedians and other people who make podcasts and it's like it's, it's like a chain like I remember I remember by exact foreign podcasts it's cuz I was enjoying listening to Christopher Hitchens I think on YouTube and stuff like that it might have been before YouTube about that sort of time and there wasn't much out there and so I googled him and found the skepticality podcast and I didn't particularly get along with that it wasn't quite right but from there I got skeptics guide to the universe right and then which I'm also the voice for Wow. So I'm I'm the person who goes. You're listening to the Skeptic's Guide to the really? Universe. Really? Oh wow! Your escape. To... I do a bit of voiceover. I forgot that in my <laughs> list of things I do. Um, yeah, being on that show was a big sort of like, wow, I'm a I'm a guest rogue. On yeah. That was huge for me. I was just like, oh, that's I'm amazing. up at five a.m. <laughs> right. It's, that's that's yeah. always the weird thing about doing Skype stuff. Yeah. The other thing that I think makes your podcast stand out from the crowd is is also it is the fact that you are a graphic designer. So mm. Your, your podcast always has brilliant art stuff with it um, and it's really well designed and when you sort of promote it you have a kind of artistic sensibility that I mean I I, I definitely know is lacking in my own podcast work so I'm, well, I'm, if I'm you always pay impressed me, I can, I can... yeah sure, <laughs> sure, sure, sure. Like, I don't think I haven't been like computing that in the back of my head since you said that but, but yeah I think it's 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 quite rare that you have somebody who has mm. all of those skills in the in, in one in one toolbox which you have it's I'm like the renaissance I'm amazing <laughs> I just I also play the guitar I know there you who, go. Who can who? Oh God, I sound like a prat. Um, <laughs> but yeah, no. Um, it's it's. Um, my my philosophy with the ZS Deadlist is I'm basically going. I would like this to be a job. Now, at the moment, I'm very lucky. My audience isn't huge, but what it does do is they're very generous with their PayPal donations. So right. at the moment, it doesn't cost me anything. Right. Possibly a little bit in, in travel and probably slightly down in terms of travel and going to yeah. see things. But everything else is paid for. The website, the hosting, you know, they're very, they're very good at covering that for me. So thank you very much, guys. But what I'm doing is my... Comedy's got to the level whereby, on circuit work and everything else, I can kind of—I'm kind of making a living. I'm not particularly wealthy, but I'm—I'm I'm, I'm there. I'm not as desperate as I was five years ago, and as a result, I'm treating it more like, well, what do I want to be doing with my life? I'd like to be doing something like this. So instead of half-assing it like you usually do, because if you—if you only half try when you get rejected, it's fine because you only half tried. I'm actually putting nearly everything into it. Right. And I think it comes across with you know how it comes across yeah and there are times when you know i get a bit sick or my computer died in the summer and there are delays in it which i'm annoyed about however i'm really happy with nearly every single one right because i what i do is i put them out in sort of series of sort of six five or six episodes yeah and they're really well produced as well they're like edited together and it's not like when when you listen to a a z-list deadlist show you're not just getting like my show a conversation although i do loads of editing that people don't know about but but uh but you know, you're getting a, a, a really kind of qualitatively, qualitatively, that's not, that's Qualitative, not a word. Qual- quality. Yeah, there's a, there's, a, there's a lot of work and time and like thought of the actual experience of listening going mm. into it, which I think is, is great and, and not always not always present in podcasting. No, so but I, I do like, ironically, I do like, like the sort of like, I like the conversational podcasts. I mean, yours is good, but completely unedited ones like Joe Rogan's. Right. I will happily listen to Joe Rogan for three hours driving up to Manchester. Right. Just... It's, it's just wonderful yeah. because it's people just chatting through and it just feels, I don't know, it, it's it's a long form that gives you so much, you know. But the thing is, I grew up listening to Radio 4, so mine I, I aim for, I don't always do it, like the next episode I've got out is going to be 10 minutes longer than normal, but I usually aim for 28 minutes because right. that's what a Radio 4 programme Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so let's do that. Um, yeah. And occasionally, if I want to make a short one, it's got to be 16 minutes because that's what a Radio 4 programme yeah. uh, you know, is. You know. But I, I need parameters and I find it so difficult 
I've been offered a production company's come to me and they've sort of said, pitch us some ideas because we're going to produce a thing for you. And I was like, what? And that this is a film thing. It could be any length. It could be like minute sketches. It could be a thing. And I'm, I'm just like, anything, right? Because now I've got everything. Right. You can't think of a single thing you want to do. Yeah. And it has to be its own individual project. It can't be related to anything I'm doing at the moment. So it's just like, oh my God. It's literally the entire world. <laughs> Choose something. And it's like, oh, that's just impossible. But um, you, you, you have to... Yeah, pick your battles. So I've got I've got that sort of like to think about over Christmas. What what would you do if you could do anything? Right. And you're just like <sighs> That's a hard one, definitely. It I is. Yeah. Because there's also a sort of thing if you know, this is something that, you know, I will if it makes money I will make money. If it doesn't make money, I will not make much money. Right. So it's a case of yeah, they'll kind of pay for a bit of my time but I have to yeah, you have to come up with an idea that's going to be mo- most likely to get you uh, get you what you need, which is more money and well, more, yeah. more, or more or more exposure or whatever you want it. Whatever. Well, we exactly. Call what it. do you want? Yeah. This is this is the trouble with life. <laughs> so, what what do I want? And right now, probably biscuit. No, <laughs> it's yeah. it's it's a tricky. I think you have to go into certain things knowing what you want out of it. I think that that's a that's a is a big deal. I think a lot of people. I think that's why a lot of podcasting stops because they don't actually enjoy the work right. of it. Similar with comedy, you know, there's a everybody in comedy on the circuit. Because I do the comedy circuit, that's where I mainly I do shows and but my my main individual shows now are all Zedless Deadless stuff. So I'll go and do that at the British Science Festival. I'll go and do that at other festivals and stuff and instead of doing an hour stand-up, because it's actually an individual thing I can sell, and there's only so much material I can make about cats. So, um, yeah, um, it, it is... You have to pick why you're doing stuff. Because if if you're a podcaster and you think, well, I'm doing this so I can make money, well, you're deluded. But it's, you know, you have to decide what you're doing with your time and what you're doing with your time matters. So if you don't like it, don't do it. Is my thing, and with stand-up comedy, everybody's aiming for the live at the Apollo thing, which doesn't really have an impact on your career much. I mean, everybody referenced Stuart Lee with this quote, but it wasn't Stuart Lee. It was um, oh bollocks! It was bollocks. You know that really good poet bollocks. <laughs> ah, oh, oh God, that's going to kill me. Oh, why, 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 brain? Why would you do this to me now? I mean, I can see his face, and and I I've been to see him live loads, and ah, oh, and he does a song about Eddie don't like furniture. Oh, for goodness' sake! Hang on. Yeah, look it up. No problem. Ashley, <laughs> I forgot the thing he's saying. He does Eddie don't like furniture. There we go. Shit a duck. Right, you can put shit a duck in there if you like. <laughs> you can leave that in. That that I have I have certain phrases I like, which is shut up, shit a duck, pig tits, just general piss you. That's good. That's good. Yeah. Um, so yes, John Hegley has a saying, which is often misquoted to Stuart Lee. If you want a career in entertainment, you need five thousand people willing to spend ten pounds on you a year. And if you put it like that, with the internet as where it is, suddenly the possibilities are like. Huh. Yeah, Because 50 grand's not a bad turnover. You can get a nice little moderate income from that. A moderate, very healthy income from that. Right. That's, that's my ambitions with it. And running at the, live at the Apollo door in the crush seems a bit silly. Yeah. I mean, that's my, that's my current thing. So I'm still doing the circuit. Well, obviously, if live at the Apollo was available to me, I would definitely yeah, do it. Yeah, you say no to that. Exactly, but it's it's not the big dream. My big my big ambition is not to sit on the I Got News For You and go, David Cameron, bum, that's not... Right. <laughs> you know, it's uh, it's more little cottage industry. Right. And doing your own thing and somehow fooling the world into getting paid for it. Yeah. That That that's... is the... And not having to do Christmas parties like I did last night where they started throwing food. Right. Not at me, I have to add. The act on after me. I managed to beat them into submission of just general background chatter and insults. However, <laughs> yeah, next guy had mince pies thrown at him. And you're just thinking, well, the money is good. However, <laughs> right. we are basically, yeah, chimps at this point. 
Yeah, I mean, yeah, comedy. I mean, that we were saying before we we, we recorded like comedy at this time of year is a is a is a hard room like it's good money but it's 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 hard rooms to work but well, I mean, it's because people aren't there to watch comedy right. people are there because hillary from accounts thought this is a cheap option for right. the office party exactly and ultimately what hillary from accounts doesn't realize is that everybody's trying to get off with sandra from hr which right. is stupid because she's just going to fire you anyway but um yeah and so basically all we're doing is going, hey, you know that fun you were having? Stop that now. Right. We're going to make you laugh at dick jokes in front of your boss who's going to sit there and judge you. Right. Stop so, socially interacting with each other now. People who want to socially interact with each yeah. other sit and watch this, this comedy. The worst one I had, I think, was a funeral. That was No, it was a memorial thing. So it was a year to the day this man died and he liked comedy. So they got a comedian. God. And it was 500 people... 200 of them were under the age of 12 right. and a microphone which only barely audible to the first three rows and you're just like well hooray hurrah so this was a very very quick you know when stuff can't work it can't work right I mean, if you can't get heard you can't laugh no exactly well yeah. that's true i You'll mean fall on your ass a few times but that's... so what why why did you why did you decide to become a comedian like what attracted you about this uh, kind of thankless task as, as we're currently describing it <laughs> i had glandular fever when i was about 15 and glandular fever that put me in bed for you know like three months or so and I kind of watched Eddie Izzard's Dress to Kill on a Loop, which I watched recently. He's dying on his ass. It's amazing. That's why it's so funny to watch it, because he's actually having to work. Right. Normally in comedy DVDs and stuff, the audience loves the person, and yeah. therefore they're not working as hard as they... You have to really motivate yourself to be as funny, because you can just relax and coast it, really. But then that, they boo him about 10 minutes in, which is just... and you're just amazing. like, And you don't notice it as a punter when you're watching it, just going, oh, this is really funny. You notice it as a comedian, just going, oh, and you recognise the panic in his eyes. And you just go, that poor bastard. And he turns it round and it becomes a great gig. But, oh, my God, it's, it's amazing, that. Because Definite Article, I think, is probably the better show. Anyway, so I was, I was watching this, and I don't know... I was, I was a sort of weird middling sort of am I gay am I not type of person when I was that age as well and if you want to impress girls showing off is is obviously the way you do it because otherwise how are they ever going to notice you um what what girl doesn't love to be serenaded by a, a spotty 15 year old other girl um with no boobs or bum yet but that's probably a good thing I don't know anyway <laughs> it it was weird so yeah I just sort of thought this is interesting and then I remember joining Chortle when I was about 16 and there was... I might have still been 15. And and then there was people like Ross Noble and Daniel Kitson on it chatting away on the forum. So I chatted too, anonymously as Izzy, because I bought Izzy.com about similar time. Wow, because, yeah. that's foresight. Yeah, exactly. There you go. Boom. Uh, <laughs> that site cost me about £20 a year, you know. It's terrible, <laughs> that four-letter domain. Anyway... So, and then I saw that Frank Skinner, Bedeal and Skinner were doing a live thing. So I went to that and then there's rumours that Eddie Izzard was doing a warm-up thing for his sexy tour. And so I went to the Camden, oh, it wasn't the Camden Head, it was one of these rooms at a pub in Soho. It was where the Soho Ho used to be. Right. Anyway, so I went there and I sat on the stairs four hours with other people slowly queuing up with me and my friend Andy and then everything was sold out so you know even though we'd been there for four hours you know we had to sit basically on the stage you know cross-legged on the floor like kids and this is all when I was underage but they never ID'd you in comedy clubs so you could drink it was great <laughs> so I, I was sat watching Eddie Izzards and if, if you want to know where I was in the on the stage I was where Darth Vader was putting his tray you know, right. so that was my head in the in the canteen on the Death Star. That's that's where I was. There's a sort of magic to life performance, which is, it's the spontaneity of it. It's the being in the moment. It's so different. It's 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 this story. That's my cat coming in. It's this this. It, it that's what I really like about it. Unlike like when you draw something, and you do something that's really good. You have you draw it and you've got that feeling of, oh, I've drawn this, it's really good. And then you kind of show it to somebody and you, you don't really get the sort of like impact. You, you know, you can tell if they like it or they don't like it, but you don't have that sort of same impact as an entire audience laughing mm-hmm. and going, we approve of you. Yeah. You know, you don't, you don't get that. But the thing is, with the painting lasts 
and the comedy just drains. It's a bit like, you know, with the painting, you can go, well, this is, you know, my, you know, CV almost, and this is my achievements, and you can write them up, and here is the painting. Whereas the comedy is more like a drug kick, and it just drops again almost immediately right. afterwards. When you first start doing comedy, the adrenaline high rides a long time. You're like, ooh, that was really exciting. But now it sort of fizzles out after about 40 seconds. Yeah. <laughs> you're just like, oh, oh, I'm back to normal again. Need to chase the, the, the feeling, you know, need that. Because it is, it is a moment where you are very, very, very... There's nothing else going on in your head. Right, I agree. And you're, you're in the moment, and I'm really sorry about the cats. No, no, I like, I like the background <laughs> the, sounds. It, it's, it's texture, darling, it's texture. <laughs> the cats scratching the scratching post. But seriously, Vincent, shut the fuck up. <gasps> He's on his side. Just at least stand up when you do Okay. <laughs> but it is, you know, like that is in the moment. I mean, right now we're capturing something that's in the moment. But when you listen back to this... It's not the same as actually being here. It's not the same as, you know, I don't know what I'm about to say. But when you edit this, you're going to know what I'm about to say because I've already said it. And yeah. it's it's that, it, it's very much like life in a weird way because it's always happening right now and then it just disappears. And yeah. Ephemeral, I suppose, is the, is that the right word? I think it is. Yeah, I think it is. It's It's, but it's really addictive for that reason because you can't capture it even if you do record it. And if you do... You know, and I'm one of these people like you. I like to go through things and edit yeah, out all I'm the no buts and the <clears throat> yeah. you know cat flaps and everything else. But there is um, a certain beauty to the fact that you can fuck up. And the way to fuck up a comedy gig is to go right. I have to do this joke. I have to do this joke because it's my new joke and it's got to be worded perfect. And then when you do that, you think, okay, well, if I'm doing that joke there, then I have to put this joke there and this joke there, and I have to have my perfect set list. And if I deviate from this at all, the whole gig will be ruined. And as a result, the whole gig is ruined because you're not in the room talking to anybody. Right. You're rehearsing something in your head. And I find I've had to stop writing set lists in the strict way. I've got an idea of what I'm going to do. I know I want to do the new bit. I know, but occasionally something will just come out and I'll go, I'm going to do a joke that I told eight years ago. Because why not? Because right. it's going to work. And then when you do something like that, you get immediately, because the audience are kind of almost aware, there's a sort of, oh, she's actually here, and therefore we're here. And they kind of invest more of themselves. And when that happens, then it's just lovely yeah. and amazing. Or they throw food. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> I mean, that resonates a lot with my own experiences of, like, I don't really do comedy as such on stage, but true storytelling is similar. You don't know, where, you don't know what's going to happen. You think you're going to tell the story one way, but then suddenly in the middle of the story, something else, you realise something else was much more important. Mm. Or, or if, you don't, if you don't give the background for this thing, then the audience won't know what the hell you're talking about. And why didn't you think of that before you go up on the stage? But that's the beauty of it. You're in the moment. Yeah. And I like that. I like, I'm not very good at being in the moment. So yeah. that's why I sort of try but to... But you always are in the engage. Moment. Yeah, I know. That's I know. a silly thing. We're always here. But it's I know, but just... I'm always in the moment worrying about what's in the future or what's in the past. And when I'm on stage, there I'm there. And yes. and it is it's kind of what you said as well about approval or, or just being seen. Like as someone growing up who was a bit weird and, and, and awkward and all of those kind of things. You surprise me. Uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, you know, I wonder why I ended up on a stage. But the, but but it is it is that thing of like you don't like a lot of my life I did not feel whether it was my family or school or whatever I didn't feel seen I didn't feel acknowledged I didn't feel like I was part of the wider community whereas when I'm on stage and I'm talking about like something awkward or something and, and everyone's like yeah we feel this too it's like the best thing ever because I spent all my life being told you're weird and suddenly I'm, I find out I'm not I'm the same as everyone else weird but, uh, it's, it's but we're all weird because <laughs> it is it's a bit like wearing a high-vis jacket if you wear a high fizz jacket, you blend in. It's weird. People don't look at you. Right. Comedy is kind of a similar thing. When you're stood on stage, everybody knows why you're there, but they're not. They're kind of. They kind of accept you if you're goofy. That's the way you're accepted. It's wearing the high fizz jacket, and you kind of blend in for yeah. that reason. Whereas growing up, trying to hide, particularly being my height, I'm six foot. Yeah. Um, well, I'm 184.5 centimeters, which whatever <laughs> that is. And yeah, and you can't blend in. And I used to desperately try to hide and desperately try to sort of think. And then once you realise, oh, actually, I have to sort of, you know, I'm almost forced to be the goof because one, I'm like that a bit anyway. But two, if I try and hide, all that happens is I get picked on. So, right. and 
I can't hide. There's nothing you can do. So you've got to take control of that situation. It's incredibly difficult. When you're a teenage girl, right, and you're six foot, okay, or five foot eleven coming up to six foot, and you're 14 and a half and you're going to a disco and all the girls are making fun of you because you're not wearing heels and all the boys are making fun with you because they're calling you a tranny and things like that. You're just like, there is nothing I can do to hide because if I try and dress like a girl, all I do is I stand out more as a boy, right. <laughs> you know. And if you, you know, if you try and... Um, so that's why you have to try and... You have to sort of be yourself because you're forced. Right. You know, there's no... You've got no other card to play. It's quite good, really. Yeah. Because um, if you could hide, I think a lot of people who can hide do. Yeah. Lucky I, I agree. Gets. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's a complicated thing, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, it, yeah. I, I, I'm envious of people who can hide, but I'm also aware that they're also feeling alienated, but they haven't got the, this ability that people like us have of standing on a stage or of, whatever. Of getting... being forced to go, oi! Yeah. Right. <laughs> but it is. It is. It's, a, it's that sort of thing. It's, it's. It is a choice that you sort of go for it and you do stuff and you are motivated to drive yourself to do different things, and it. It is that ignoring the fear of being judged and everything else, but it is also circumstance that has forced your arm. Yeah. There isn't... It, it's never just you. There's always outside influence, I think. And often when things are going really well, it's hardly ever you. It's annoying. <laughs> when <laughs> right. things are going badly, no, it's often you to blame. This is what I found. And relaxing and letting... Going with the flow and dropping that bit of material desperate to tell and just letting what happened happen yeah. is... is the key to it. And it's very yeah. annoying because then you can't take credit. No, I know <laughs> what you mean. Yeah, that's, that's, that's really true. So, you, I mean, so that's how you kind of got the idea of, like, the interesting comedy. Mm. The podcast that you made now is about history mm. uh, and it kind of mixes a little bit of comedy in and then a lot of the people who come on are comedians or whatever. But, 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 but I mean, it's about facts. It's about, you know, it's, it's about... And it's about people. It's, it's mm. not just, like laughs it's it's about stuff originally right? i had it in my head to do it more almost self-help because i don't know what to do with my life right and it's interesting to see what other people have done with their life and there's a sort of big thing we're, we're kind of obsessed that our lives are only this little bit of time and we've got to make an impression that little bit of time will be forgotten forever well guess what you're going to be forgotten forever anyway right like us not i'm really sorry about my cats eating no biscuits. no i like it it's, seriously <laughs> guys I'm the noisiest. I've only got two cats. I'm not a crazy cat lady. It's just at the moment they're going in and out of the cat flesh. It sounds like I've got twenty. No, this is the kind of background <laughs> sound which is fine. It's when you. It's it, it's much yeah. more frustrating when you've got like a whole like uh, cafe of people. Yeah. Like, like I like background sound, but then there's there's a certain point where it becomes distracting. Yes. I don't think we're at that point. Okay, so don't worry cool. about that. Anyway, um, but. Yeah, what was I saying? I was talking about cats. No, I wasn't. <laughs> See, distracted. You, you were talking yeah. about how the Zedless Deadlist initially like, was kind of like self-help. Yeah, because it's it's basically we are we're all going to get forgotten. So it is what is a good life, what is good, what is bad. Is it, you know, should you be, you know, striving for great things? Should you be looking for spirituality? Should you be having an amazing eccentric life and sod the consequences and sod your family? Should you be making lies up to be the greatest? Should, you know, there's, there is, you know, it's not as black and white as we often think. And life is, can be, and what said the show is at any point in history, utterly insane. Yeah. And you can do... <laughs> You know, particularly if you've got the ability to sort of shrug and go, yeah, whatever. Like, there's a there's a woman I did, um, Julie Daubrany. She was, what, a... She learnt how to fence from her dad when she was 14. She had an affair with his boss. She had an affair with another fencing instructor. Um, she fought as a man regularly. She then fell in love with a woman, joined a nunnery, you know. Yeah. Um, escaped the nunnery by burning down the nunnery with a nun in it. Um, it, it's just and she just lived you know her short life incredibly you know it's like a fantasy but she did it right and so much of history is just bizarre when you read you know if you I've kind of gotten Dan Carlin's got me into lots of military history and you're right. just like this is worse than this is the most amazing thing worse than anything I've seen in a film yes. more, more exciting and fucked up than anything you can see you know um reading a book or anything like that this is and it happened yeah and you just can't put your mind you know when hannibal surrounded that roman army and just 
you know, completely enveloped them. And you were standing in the middle for eight hours listening as the other crowd, the slaughter got closer and closer to you. You went so insane that you buried your head in the sand to kill yourself. Right. Wow. And you're just like, how that happened? Right. <laughs> you're right, just right, like, right. yeah. Sorry, I'm right, shouting right, into that's it. All right. But yeah, it's, um, <laughs> yeah, so the possibilities are endless. And, you know, if you, if you limit yourself, it's so easy to sort of limit yourself. Well, society thinks you should do this. So society says, one, you really ought to have kids. You really ought to travel the world, even though nobody knows really where they want to go. Right. You know, you need to um, keep fit, have a good life, have a good, satisfying job. What the hell is that? You know, yeah. you have to... There, there are certain you need to have your mortgage in place. You need X, Y, and Z. And actually, you really don't. Right. I mean, that could be great. That could be what you really, your heart truly desires. But if your heart truly desires a mortgage, you're odd. Right. You know? <laughs> right. I have met people who got, whose heart does truly desire a mortgage, but they are Yeah, odd. but what do yeah. they really want? <laughs> you know, is it just, oh, that piece of paper that binds me to this property? I don't know. It's, um, it, you know, and you have to have, I mean, you're very interesting on the sort of terms of monogamy and everything else and mm-hmm. what people want out of life. And it's just, you know, I've, I've always gone, well, I don't really know what I want. So I'm not going to really try to become a lawyer. Right. Just because it seems like a sensible option. I've kind of gone, ah, I did, what did subject did I quite like at school? Geography. I fancy my teacher. That's probably why I, that, <laughs> I, I quite like that. But I'll do it at university anyway. Well, that's the thing. You, uni- did, you did geography, but, yeah. now you're work- now, but now you're sort of like focused on history. Yeah. Well, my mum is is a historian, you see. Well, she's okay. not anymore. She's more. She's a world expert on pensions. So, um, yeah, she's a professor. I'm I'm a huge disappointment. <laughs> I'm not as clever. It's annoying. And so she was very keen for me not to do history because she did history. Right. So I was I was moved away from history. And also, I did only get a B at A level because I said in my essay that Stalin had a point. <laughs> which I did say that and I, I, I still stand by this okay because it was about the Red Terror and how mentally he was killing everybody randomly but I'm just like yeah but in that he would have killed some people who were out to kill him they weren't all right. innocent in right, his right, right. they weren't you know because I would have tried to there's a certain logic <laughs> to yeah, yeah right I mean you know yeah you, you can you can question the goals but the but achievement in, of those goals he had he, he was quite efficient yeah. at uh, but you most could, of the time that that was too far for the examining body so I got a B in that one because everything else was A's and that particular exam was a D because <laughs> you can't <laughs> prove it well yes but you can because people are people and if they weren't trying to kill him they must have been anyway uh, <laughs> and Cameron and Evans and Oviev are just anyway um, but no I, I do like history but I think it's really helped me not coming in at it from a fangirl standpoint because although the Zedist Edlist I do try and make it accurate I do not do double checking sources I do occasionally I will look just look up at the fact on Wikipedia often I do like look at other things as well yeah but I will let something slide because it's interesting and fun to do that and it isn't it is history entertainment rather than history history you should write this down as a source for your thesis but anyway i mean with that i mean we find all the time that history shifts about the the things we thought were true turn out not to be true or then then and then you know that, but it's, 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 it's to me history is utter bollocks anyway because nobody really knows what they're doing so you try and sort of like have all of these prime ministers they wanted this so that this would happen and then this happened as a different consequence right. you're like you don't know what they wanted. Yeah. You don't know what they really were trying to do. They didn't know. Right. They just thought, oh, panic, let's do this yeah, now. They got out of bed that morning and dealt with whatever happened. Exactly. And <laughs> and so and so and which it tends to be life. And so we try and like, you know, it's a bit like trying to categorise different types of, you know, bugs. And then you find they all have sex with each other anyway. So they aren't all different species. It's just right. it's just, you know, you're trying to put a you know, straight line around a lot of wiggly bullshit. Yeah. And you can do that. And it is, and it, I, I agree with it. I think that's what they call science. But um, <laughs> it, 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 you can't make order out of chaos in total, which is why it's so fun, because building narratives is the imagination. It is the thing. It is trying to make sense of the world. Yeah. But you can't do that because everybody's an idiot and is panicking like crazy, as far as I've worked out. I haven't, I don't think I've met a really together person, really together. I reckon if you did, like, it, it, that's scary in itself. Like, if someone's really together, I'm like, how, wh- why, what, what, what is it? About, yeah. Like, what is it that's making them able anybody. to be that way? It is. I imagine there will be some people who are just really sort of like, hey, but 
I also imagine they're probably a bit tedious. <laughs> Maybe. Broken things are fun. It's it's one of these things which makes great comedians, actually. It's, it's the theory of the... I think it's me and my friend Simon who did the Sunday Supplement. We came up with the phrase flawed unassailability. So the very thing that makes you rubbish is the thing that people love most about you. Right. So if you look at somebody like Daniel Kitson, when, who would, is incredibly arrogant, he looks at his feet, he stutters, he doesn't really want to be on stage. But all of those things make him absolutely watchable. Right. They're the very things which should make him completely unwatchable. Right. And so it's... And the trouble is, particularly with stand-up, it is you have to embrace the thing that you most dislike because usually that's your selling point. Yeah. So... Yeah, I mean that's the, that's the same with I think a lot of different kinds of performances. If if any performance is drawing on yourself, like I, I I've definitely found that the what I do is basically all the things I got bullied for at school are now the things that make my brand, if you like, mm. s- successful. Like the things that being too being too open, being awkward, all of these things, mm. like not not knowing what not to say, uh, turns out. That's, people love that in a performance context or a podcast context. It's mm. just uh, not at school so much. Yeah. yeah. Well, but that, it's that sort of thing is we're a product of circumstance. And ironically, the very things... Uh, Joe Rogan, I've heard talk about this, he sort of says, the trouble is we're trying to make our children's lives so brilliant, right? And we're trying to give them the really sort of like best childhood we can possibly do and make sure that they're not in too much, you know, difficulty or anything else. And he goes, but every single person I love and every single person who I find interesting and exciting had a fucked up childhood. (laughs) And now we're just producing children who are going to be happy and well-adjusted. Oh, don't worry, we're not. No, exactly. I mean, all of the objective, like even if people go in with the objective to not fuck up their child, that's like guaranteed to fuck up their child. That is larking, isn't it? They fuck you up, your mum and dad. They do not mean to, but they do. Exactly. And I think, you know, that's the thing, like, that's one of the tragedies of life. Like, sometimes it's in in trying not to, like, to try not to repeat the mistakes that we've seen before, we exactly repeat them. Uh, Indeed. But that's because we don't live in the now, she says. (laughs) Right. Having just done a podcast about Zen halfway through. It's funny how Zen this, because I've been editing lots about Zen. But it is, it is. If you put all the things of your past onto what happens right now, they will repeat themselves because... You're trying to control something you've got no control over by yeah. putting the past on it. And if you actually go, actually, I don't know what's going to happen, it feels scarier, but really you don't know what's going to happen, and then what will happen will be a new experience, and it will be organic, and you actually won't repeat, and it will be new and exciting yeah, and exactly. shiny. Well that's, well, that's a good that's a good thought. So one of the things that you do, as apart from the comedy stuff, yeah. is, you, you, you know, you, you do martial arts. I know. Which is, you know, always, <laughs> like, so I'm always weird. very impressed with, like, your Facebook pictures of this, this martial arts sort of stuff because I'm so not, not, not good. Like, I think in a fight I'd be all right because I, I, I think I... Bleed you know, everywhere. Yeah, yeah, well, no, I think I think if, if I got pushed to a certain point, I would, you know, fight like a girl in the good way. Like, I would bite and scratch and, and, and do all of the, 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 mm. the, the stuff that uh, w- means that you win, but in, not in a very kind of... Uh, I don't know heroic way because you've you've you know mm. panicked and, and done a lot of damage to someone for no reason. But what you do is controlled, impressive, like stuff. Um, yeah. Well, well, speak to my senseis about that. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> not so much. That's well, what you aspire to do. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's, it's definitely an aspirational thing. I think what what happened with me though. I mean, I needed to take up a sport because all I was doing, I didn't, I haven't done any sports since school. At school, I never tried because I didn't want to be on the sports team. Unfortunately, my school was so small, I had to be on the sports team because I was tall. So I was always goalkeeper in basketball, goalkeeper in, you know, left back in hockey. I, I swam, but I couldn't dive because I was too scared to dive, so I had to start in the pool like an idiot. Um, but I was on every sports team simply because... And so I never bothered and I never tried, and I always thought that sport was something that stupid people did because I was an idiot. And... Well, do you know what I mean? It's, it's yeah. There's this sort of, like, division. You sort of say, well, you know, if, if, if sport was so good, why don't, you know... Why don't clever people do it? You know, and right. you're just like, well, they do actually. Is he? You're a moron. <laughs> but anyway, so I um, last year I was having back problems, and it's mainly because the only sport I would do is occasionally I'd go for a run. And the trouble if you run, what that does is it eats muscle. So all the muscles went out my back, and I was looking for a sport to do. Now, coincidentally, I interviewed Naomi Paxton, who um, for the Z List Deadlist, who talked about women suffragettes. Now. 
What I didn't realise, which is now becoming more known because I've seen a few articles on it online, women suffragettes did jiu-jitsu. And they would beat up police officers and stop themselves getting arrested by hip-throwing them over fencing. (laughs) And, like, literally they'd do a bit of vandalism, leg it to one of the many dojos on the strand, and then just hide underneath the trapdoors underneath the mats whilst everybody else was just fighting normally above and the police officers would look around for them, wouldn't find them and leave. You know, and... It was huge. Um, you know, martial arts are a big deal, weirdly, in the 19th century. I mean, you kind of know this anyway because, you know, Sherlock Holmes is based then and, you know, he did... And he does a bit of a... Uh, he does Bartitsu, oh, which sorry. is... A, that is as nearly as funny as my next favourite one, which is an Austrian martial art using sticks, uh, called Schwingen. <laughs> so, <laughs> Bartitsu and Schwingen. Uh, but, yeah, so... I thought, oh, I wonder if I should... Because also I listen to Joe Rogan and he's big on Brazilian Jitsu and everything else. And I think Joe Rogan was a big influence on my, oh, actually, he's really clever and he likes sports. Shit. <laughs> my, my perceptions are changing here. So I, I just had a look on the internet and I joined a local dojo down in Tadley. And it turns out it's really like stand-up. Weirdly, it feeds into that same... Because basically what stand-up is, is you get on stage, so you get that hit of adrenaline, and... Um, you tell jokes, and then what happens is, after you, in order to get good at stand-up comedy, you have to tell the same jokes in different areas to different audiences all the time. To get good at martial arts, you have to get on the mats, people are punching you, get hit of adrenaline, and then you have to do the same throw on different people again and again and again in order to get it right. So you have to learn how to adapt your throw to different people in order to get... Like, you have to learn to adapt jokes. Right, that's And it's a really... It, it, and also you've got the performance aspect of it when you have to demonstrate the throw in front of the sensei and all of the dojo and the rest of it. And similarly, which also feeds into that, but also because you're exercising, you've got the extra serotonin from doing the exercise as well. So it's like really addictive. So I, I tend to, my life now is if I'm not gigging, I tend to be down at the dojo getting thumped. It's quite fun. And then and also what's really nice is it's kind of, you know, because I moved to Reading because um, I moved in with a partner and stuff, and I didn't really have any good friends here. I've got friends dotted around in Guildford and the rest of it, but it, I and, and Oxford and stuff. But um, I didn't actually have any friends of my own. We've got mutual friends, but right. no, nobody. And now I do. I've got lots of little friends. Right. And it's just like, oh my goodness, I'm, I have a social life again. Yeah, because that's is, the other yeah. thing that it seems to be giving you, from what I can see, is it, yeah. yeah, you've got. A, a, it's not just that you're going and doing a martial art. You're you're you've got a friendship group that's yeah. a, built up around. And there's there's a very firm friendship that comes from because if you're getting punched by people, there's you have to build the element of trust, and there has to be. I mean, it's why I mean I do Japanese jitsu, so it's incredibly formal. So you ray onto the mat and you ray at each other before raying is bowing, by the way. And you have to call sensei sensei. You're not allowed to swear. Weirdly, you're not allowed to have any water either. So you do a two-hour session with no water and no toilet break. And if you have to ask and leave the dojo to do either of those things, obviously to have a toilet break. That's logical. Um, but, you know, you're not allowed to drink any water, eat any food, or that sort of thing. Simply because it's part of the sort of respect and the concentration needed. Because at any point, you might have a, you know, kosh aimed at your head. Right. So, and that's higher grades, that's what happens. You know, you'd be doing one's throw and the sensor will come up with you with a knife and try and stab you with it. Wow. And you have to block it. Um, and we did we did do sharps um, on Monday, it was fun. But normally they're blunt knives, they're not stabby stabs but yeah only phil cut himself also i did defense against a handbag that's really difficult they swing so much because they're weighted doing defense against a chain coming at you kind of easier because it's not weighted at the end so it kind of goes a bit slow handbags whip around and they get you in the side of the head when you're trying to block them i don't think of it as sort of fighting more violent dancing really right yeah, um, I think that's fair i mean i mean that's one of the things that i enjoy about like that certain kinds of martial arts films are like dance like, mm. like um, what's it called House of Flying Daggers yeah, and, yeah. and that Hero and all of those films which I thought were beautiful and brilliant mm. like both me and my partner love because it was like dance mm. um, you know and it's quite nice to sort of imagine that there might be kind of you know more macho men there going yeah it's like, and not, not knowing that they're loving dance and also martial arts often have like a kind of philosophy behind them right am yeah. I right I mean is there is there much of that in, in Jitsu there is a bit no, probably not as much with my foundation in fact, I think you can get it. If you do something like kendo or, you know, one of the sword disciplines, they're much more about the life and everything else. And they're much... I think what what it's taught me... It does teach it to you, but it doesn't force it down your throat. So what it does is, because 
you're basically doing things like all the brake falling and stuff. So there's a thing called over the belt. What over the belt is, is you stand next to somebody, you hold their belt, and then your job is to wheel your back leg vertically over your own head and land on the floor in front of you on that leg. Right. It's completely straight. And there is no way of making this smaller. It's a bit like doing a backflip. There's no part you can break this down any smaller. You just have to do it. Yeah. And it takes a long time for you to do it. And also the the fear and the panic of thinking, I have to do this in order to get my next grading, the rest of it, makes it a really big deal. And also because you do it individually, you're doing it in front of everyone. So your first go is in front of everyone. You know, right. there's no there's no hiding in the corner or anything else. And what what it's kind of taught me is because my first day I saw this, and yes, I still carried on. And it's and and during a grading as well, um, when you you're being assessed on everything, and you know what's about to come up, so you know you're going to have to do siatoshi, and you know you're going to have to move your leg that way. But right now you're doing like kick up and drops, or you're doing some break falling, just forward rolls and that sort of stuff. If you're not paying attention to what you're doing now you muck it up if you constantly think about what's going to happen you know it forces you to be where you are because if you think about that it all goes wrong right and also what's really weird is you think like but i first saw them just doing you know standing forward rolls so you just get pushed and you have to do a forward roll and get up into yoy and be ready to fight that when i first well that's impossible i couldn't do one on the floor but what i did was i told my brain not to think about it and sure enough, when it came to my turn, I couldn't do it, but I actually got it faster than I thought I would. Right. And it's this thing of going, it, when breaking down big tasks, it forces you to do it. It forces you to just go, okay, that, there's a mountain to climb, but right now all I have to do is to walk this path to the end of it. Right. That's all I'm being asked to do. So let's just do that. Oh, well, I can do that. That's all right. Okay, now I have to climb this bit. Oh, that looks a bit high. Oh, well, I can do that bit because it's only you know, a few metres. And then... In the end, you will climb the mountain. Yeah. It's just really weird thinking that one day I'm going to have to defend myself against a proper sword and stuff. I'm not yeah. thinking about that because if I do, I'll just go, oh, I'll just give up now because <laughs> I don't want to do that. Yeah. Or doing um, headstand drops where you go into a headstand and you drop down on your back, but you don't hurt yourself. And occasionally they ask you to do that on the concrete. And you're just like, ah, well. not doing that. But I will do. It's just I'm not doing it right now. Right. And in almost the fact that you feel like you can't do it will mean that when you do do it it'll be a, an even greater achievement in some but ways I guess I, th- I find as well because um, I've been having lots of blood tests recently I hate blood tests like, like when I was a kid I remember having to have a blood test when I had glandular fever and I just <gasps> would panic like, like and for a week be almost inconsolable about this event and then when it happened it was horrible and everything else now I'm just like well I'll think about it when it happens <laughs> and suddenly the anxiety just drops and you're just like well this you know when it happens it's unpleasant but it's it's only unpleasant For it's that not period of time and exactly then and then it, yeah. and then it's over and then you're just like and then you get the sort of oh i succeeded at being a normal human being shut up <laughs> but um all of these all of the anxiety in life seems to be completely fine as long as you don't try and control what you can't control yeah it's it's but it's finding the ability to to, to stop trying to control what you can't control is i recommend it? being asked to chuck yourself over your own head <laughs> <laughs> i think that i think that helps a lot and and it does i mean i, I would recommend doing i'm a part of a foundation called the it's called jiu-jitsu foundation so it's jjf i think or jff yeah no jjf must be um and um yeah i recommend it because it's they're all you're not going to get a great deep philosophy you're not going to have perfect zen masters at the top but they're all working it and they're nerds but they're um they're very friendly nerds and they're really keen and also it's non-profit so it's all cheap nice but it does mean that these guys are like both my sensei spend at least six hours a week teaching for free wow and you're just like ah and it's better than personal training in many ways because not only are they teaching you how to get fit they're teaching you how to avoid injury they're teaching you all the things you need to know but they're also becoming your friends and they're also helping you do stuff that and they have a real passion for it because if you're doing something that passionately for free guess what you care about it a lot right hence podcasting yeah right it does tie in with that well yeah before i ask you the last question the the other thing that you were saying when we were so i i mean as regular listeners will know i ask a couple of questions off mic one of the questions is like 
you know, is there anything interesting that we could talk about, basically? Yeah. And uh, you said you've got a you've got a, an interesting family in that you're yeah. an only child, but you've got six siblings. I, I can't yeah, remember. Yeah, brothers and sisters. They're, yeah. they're step. So right. my, my childhood was very, very odd. Um, but I think you could probably tell. <laughs> <laughs> well, my, my, my parents, you know, were divorced very early on. So I was probably about three or four. And my mother married another man and my dad had several different girlfriends and now has had his partner now. Both my parents have only had one child, but they've married, you know, people with three each. Right. And so my life growing up and my stepdad's family all were from Australia. And so there are times in my childhood, like when I was six years old, I flew there by myself. Wow. I, exactly. There's there's sort That's of weird parts of my <laughs> there's weird parts of my childhood and I'm going all I know is and I can't place it, I must have been about seven or eight and I'm in Hong Kong getting ready to go to school and I'm eating a Nutella sandwich for the first time, which is why I remember it. And after school, I'm really excited because we're going to watch Star Wars, second one, on on video, right? And and I'm not really unsure what's been going on in Star Wars because I'm watching it dubbed into Cantonese with Mandarin subtitles. Wow. So <laughs> that is my experience of Star Wars. That's what I think of. I think of Nutella getting ready to go to school and that sort of thing. But my parents weren't there at that point. I went to school in Brisbane, I know that much. And these sort of things where you want to go, how was I in Germany in a lake? <laughs> I'm trying to work it out. I, I wasn't that, I was, I wasn't, I was nearly a teenager, I'm sure, and I can't put, pick it in the gap. Because I remember one of my dad's girlfriends being there, but I don't remember my dad. So was I living there? I just don't, right. <laughs> you know, just really trying to piece together your childhood. My right. stepbrother tries to do this as well. And we were just there. He was over from Australia and we were just trying to work it out. And we realised we couldn't do the dates right because we were each putting different dates. But you don't want to bring it up because you don't want to be like, you're terrible parents. We've had a very confused childhood. Because, yes, then they accuse you of guilt tripping them. But um, <laughs> it, is, it is, yeah, it was a very odd childhood. And I went to a, a secondary school... So I went to school in London for a bit. I think I went to school in Brighton for a bit. And obviously with different gaps in Brisbane and Hong Kong and what. Right. When so, did it become stable at some point? Is there a point where you can go, right, I understand the timeline from that point? 2010. <laughs> <laughs> it's basically when I moved and I, I've got my own home now. And it Because um, before then I was sort of going in between different people's flats. I lived with my stepsister for a time. I lived in my mother's attic for a time. I was at university. I was right. doing... But I worked out the first time I actually spent more than two weeks continually in one bed. So 14 nights over and over again waking up in the same bed. That was my first Edinburgh Fringe. Wow. Yeah, because normally the experience yeah. for most people are going to Edinburgh is suddenly their life is much less organised. It was stability. Ed- right. That's really interesting. <laughs> yeah, that was 2002. I was still at school and I went up and did a show with Paul Carenza because um, I was going to watch live comedy so I'd made friends with Paul and he was going we're doing a show do you want to be in it and I was like yeah <laughs> and so I, I shared a room with two other girls and we uh, did the play each day and from there I found out more about stand-up got to see a load of cool people and I came back in 2003 because I met I had pink hair I dyed my hair pink for no particular reason well, because and I came you, back because yeah, you wanted to obviously that's, that's the, and the I met reason. up with Will Hodgson um uh, dye my hair pink the next year because we're both flowering and he has pink well he had pink hair then because um, I met that's it I know the story of my Edinburgh I can work it out now 2002 went up with uh, Spinning Jenny the play met Noel James there you know the comedian Noel James brilliant comedian Noel James and um, Steve Best who weirdly was the first comedian I ever saw I ended up working with the next year I was basically I wrote a couple of sketches with them I was in their show a little bit but I was mainly their tech and prop person so I went up with them. I had pink hair then, met up with Will Hodgson, did his show the next year as his sort of like guitarist and doing sketches in between his stand-up. That one, Perio Best Newcomer. So we then did that on the West End. I, I got hugged by Christian Slater. What the fuck? Wow, I know. And then 2005 I went up, and um, that's when I was at university and I'd started doing a bit of stand-up. So I went up with Owen Niblock and we did a sort of double header in a little venue and it cost two quid and it was... Like, and I, I couldn't do 20 minutes if I tried. I was doing half an hour. <laughs> <laughs> but we got we got some really sweet little reviews and stuff. And, and off the back of that, I got a load more gigs and that sort of thing. And then 2006, I visited and that sort of thing. But then I decided I was going to get a proper job. And so, because I left university and I, I tried to, you know, so 2008, I was 
being proper. And then I then I lost my job mid two thousand and nine, so it was just after the crash and stuff and it just right. um the office made me redundant and I moved back in with my mother and I thought I was quite good at that stand up when I was I was delusional. <laughs> and so I, I, I started it again. And because I started it kind of brand new, but having all of that previous experience right. I stood out a bit. So I went up with my first show in 2009 on my Todd and I did a free fringe show which got really lovely reviews and stuff and then got me an agent in 2010 and then I became pro. Wow. It's like, yeah, taking those couple of years off kind of really helped really because it was just like I disappeared and I came back. Yeah, I bet that, I mean, I bet that does help. I mean, yeah, and also the taking the opportunity of, of, of a re- a redundancy or whatever mm. to to then try and you know do it full time is is kind of what I did a couple of mm. years ago when I lost my job so I can relate to that yeah. too. Sorry, it's <laughs> too many. Too we witted. Yeah, no, no, wittering <laughs> is good. I mean, you know, as we know, Wittertainment is like the biggest uh, podcast in the yeah, whole of the country. So if, if we can, if, if Komodo Mayo can uh, witter on for ages and, and and get so many listeners, then I'm sure it can't be a bad uh, yes. bad approach. Um, but yeah, I mean, I guess like that that childhood, like of 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 not of of so many things going on. I guess has prepared you for this kind of life of of, of just random, yeah, random stuff. I think so. I think you know, I like my family. Um, they're annoying, but I like them a lot, and I love a few of them. <laughs> Possibly, I should say love, shouldn't I? But it should say really. But they are they are very, you know. I I can't use them in my stand up as much as I want to, but simply because. They don't. They almost don't feel. You know, they're too fragile. Almost. Um, right. You know. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. It's kind of that. And also, there's a thing of I really want to move away of being seen as childish. So if you bring up your parents, it seems like, although they're brilliant comedians, who do John Cordillo does wonderful stuff about his father. Uh, just like, yeah, I won't do it because it'll ruin his stuff. So shut up. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, no, he he does he does wonderful things. So it, it's weird. It's. You know, coming from a, you know, you never feel like you're in one place. and You never are really, this is where I belong, because there's always somewhere else. Right. And so there's, I think that element is an interesting psychological sort of tick I have. Right. I mean, I, I didn't ha- have exactly the same kind of a, kind of childhood, but I think definitely elements of my childhood meant that I always felt like I was an outsider. And I think that's definitely been a good thing. It mm-hmm. means that I never, like, I, I, when you're an outsider, you learn that, you know, you make your own inside, you know, you, mm-hmm. you, you know, and that, and that's the, that's the thing that's, I think, stood me well from all of that stuff. But uh, Yeah. I think it's, it, I think it's also the thing of, you, you have to be laissez-faire and you also have to get used to, you know, things not happening the way you predicted mm. it would, because you couldn't predict what was happening when you were a kid and you right. couldn't work it out. So therefore it is that thing of going, oh, this is happening now. Yeah. Okay. We'll do this then. And it, and you know, this is a sort of aspirational thing that I want to get to. Is the sort yeah. of, oh, this is happening. This is good. Yeah, yeah, because also having all like having things not be organised also makes you sometimes like want to organise things and sort them out and have mm. some stability. So it's like it is that thing of like embracing the chaos. Yes. And once and like definitely when I'm happiest, when things work out best, is when I'm embracing the chaos. And it's yeah. when I'm unhappiest and things aren't working out it's normally because I'm like I can't control this chaos how do I control this chaos mm. uh, and you can't and that's yeah. that's okay so I mean yeah the last the last question I ask everybody is do you have anything to plug yeah Zedless Deadless www or Zless Deadless if you're a weirdo um, <laughs> if you if you refuse to accept our monarchy um, yeah so www.zlistdeadless.com is my podcast and really have a listen and if you don't like it Share it with people you don't like and they'll have a horrible time. And if you do like it, please share it with your friends. Um, we, both of us, rely so much on people liking, sharing, writing iTunes reviews. It matters more than money in many ways because, yeah. you know, it's the way we get known and it's the way that we will continue to produce stuff. So, um, yeah. because we're needy, needy, needy people. Um, that is that is what we do. But you can also check out my website if you want to find more about me on izzy.com, I-S-Z-I.com. 
Yeah, and I, um, and listeners, feel free to if you while you're over there uh, putting iTunes comments on on, on Izzy's uh, stuff. Why don't Why don't you put some on this on this I show? Mean, I was meaning both. No, no, no. I know, I know. You were. I'm just having a word with them yeah, okay. uh, on my own, on my own behalf. Of like, yeah, that that's a good thing. I should it, ask you guys to do that more often. It sounds so, Yeah, it sounds so stupid, <laughs> but just liking and sharing something, um, it just means more people see it, just because the way algorithms work. And the thing is, all you're doing is saying. I did this, I listened to this, and I liked it. And it's not a, nobody's going to judge you for that. They're going to go, ooh, I wonder what they're, they're cool. I want to be like them, let's listen to that. So basically, um, people think you're cool. Yeah, right. That definitely will happen. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And the last thing I ask my guests to do is to say goodbye to the audience. So yes, you can leave iTunes reviews. You can also donate if you'd like. That would be really, really helpful. Help me to keep making this. Uh, There's a donate button on the Getting Better Acquainted SoundCloud page. If you click on donate, it'll take you to, to PayPal where you can choose to give me a donation, which would be really, really helpful. Another way that you can support me is by coming to see my live show. I'm doing my solo show, What About the Men? Mansplaining Masculinity as a double bill with the comedian Jambi McGrath as part of Stand Up Tragedy Presents, which is happening on the 18th of February at the Dog Star in Brixton. The night is pay what you like, so if you haven't got very much money, you can just give a tiny bit, and if you've got lots of money, you can give lots of money. Uh, It's up to you. You can follow Getting Better Acquainted on Twitter at GBA Podcast. You can like it on Facebook. www.gettingbetteracquainted.co.uk is one place you can find it. And remember, there are lots of ways to get better acquainted. <laughs>